Our study today brings us to the request, Give us today our daily bread. What exactly does that mean? Listen as our study leader, Dave Wurtson, interacts with a bunch of kids about their school lunches. Why don't they worry about whether or not the brown paper sack will be on the kitchen counter in the morning? How can we escape the money pit worries by observing our kids? Here's Dave with some insight on daily bread. Your mom tells you to wake up, number one. You get up right away? Well, you try to get dressed, okay? Then I sit down and lay down and fall asleep again. You fall asleep again. Then your mom has to come in and wake you up again, okay? Somebody else tell me about what happens in the morning. There's so many other things. Hey, you guys, what kind of, do you guys like to eat cereal? Okay, what's one of the last things that you need to do? Just before you go to school, your mom says, are you sure you have brushed your teeth? Brushed your teeth. That's one of them, okay? Okay, I want to share with you, in our house, it usually starts the night before school. And maybe you can tell me whether this is kind of like your house. In our house, maybe about, maybe about 9.30, Mary gets out this right here. She gets out a loaf of bread. We're going to use Wonder Bread today, okay? really worried about you kids today. Okay, Mary gets out a loaf of bread, and she usually reaches into the refrigerator and gets out some cold cuts, you know, like bologna and liverwurst. No, not really liverwurst. <laughs> but today, if, if worst comes to worst, you can always eat peanut butter, right? So Mary gets out some peanut butter. You know what she does? She gets out a knife. And she starts to make sandwiches for lunch, right? Any of your moms do that? You want some sandwich? You want some sandwich? You like that, all right? Do any of your moms do that? Any of your moms do that? This is, I forgot the butter. I'm sorry. Aren't peanut butter sandwiches great, guys, right? Okay. What I notice in our household, when Mary's making sandwiches like that, you know what I notice? There's this brown paper sack up on the table. Mom says, be sure to take your lunch. You know what I've noticed? Jonathan, Joel, Joshua, and Janae never worry about whether or not that lunch is going to be there. Now, I want you to be honest. I was just kidding you where I said I was worried you might starve to death before it gets time for lunch today. Now, really be honest. How many of you have been worried about, man, alive? I'm not sure that that mom's going to make lunch for me today. Now, I'll be honest. How many of you were thinking, uh, Matthew, were you thinking, man, I'm not sure that there's going to be lunch today. Were you worried about that? Okay, were you worried about it, Matt? No, you were worried about it. You know what? Why weren't you worried about it? Why didn't you worry about whether or not there would be lunch? You haven't given a thought about whether there would be lunch. You don't worry about whether it would be going to be lunch during school days. Why don't we worry about it? Why don't you kids worry about whether there's going to be lunch or not? Because if I don't bring my lunch, I can always charge. Okay, because someone's going to provide it, right? Someone's going to provide it. He can always charge his lunch, okay? The reason... The reason that Jonathan and Joel and Joshua and Janae don't worry about whether or not they're going to have lunch or not is because they just assume Mary's going to make it for them and Mary's going to provide it. Now, this phrase, give us to stay our daily bread, 
is a statement that the Lord wants us to all to become like you little children. Because, you know, out here in this audience, I'm, and this is really serious. As I look around this audience, like over right here in this group here, kids, and right here in this group right here, and right here in this group right here, and right here over here, there's some people that are really worried about their daily bread. They're not really worried about whether they're going to have Peter Pan peanut butter sandwiches. You know what they're worried about? They're worried whether they're going to have enough stuff. They're worried about whether or not they're going to be able to keep paying the bills. And instead of just being like you as little children saying, Mom and Dad will provide, and when we become adults, we need to look to our Daddy in Heaven and saying, Our Daddy in Heaven will provide. As we start to grow older, we start to really worry about whether or not the Lord's going to keep giving us peanut butter sandwiches, keep giving us homes, keep giving us enough money to make it. And a lot of these people right here are really worried about it. And the Lord doesn't want us to live like that. You know why? Because when we worry, it cuts our life down. And it also makes us very angry. It can even tear apart our homes. We can become very frustrated and angry. What we're going to do today, we're going to talk about giving us this day our daily bread and trusting the Lord for it. Then when I, I want to talk to you about not letting money be the focus of our life and worshiping it. And then we're going to talk at the end about escaping worry, being really uptight about money. And let me have my peanut butter back or I'm going to be worried, okay? All right. Good. And what we've just done, you can get the whole point of what the Scripture in Matthew 6 is trying to get across to us when it teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. The point that I want you to get from the kids is that they just assume that dad and mom are going to come through for them. But as we grow older and we become more sophisticated, we begin to wonder whether or not our heavenly daddy is going to really come through for us. And instead of praying, we begin to focus on our physical needs. We begin to focus on our material needs. And in income tax time, it can get to be a great big worry, can it? Or when the bills just seem to be overwhelming. And that's where this petition, what the Lord wants to teach us today, is that instead of worrying, instead of worshiping money, we need to learn to ask our Heavenly Daddy. We need to depend upon our Heavenly Daddy even more than kids in a home depend upon mom to make their school lunch. Let's look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 in the petition, and then we'll look at the way that he explains it. Matthew chapter 6. It says in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, Give us today our daily bread. Let me clarify a few things about uh, interpreting what this means. Gives us today means uh, it's an emphasis upon living just one day at a time. Now, the little phrase bread, it's used in a broader sense than just this loaf of bread. It's not just talking about wonder bread. It's not just talking about food. But in Greek, just like in English, I can say bread and I can mean money. For example, bread is one of those symbolic ways that we talk about money. We can make it even broader than that and mean all of our daily necessities, all of our daily needs. And the way that the Lord is using in this petition, he's not just saying, Lord, give me my lunch for today. He's saying, meet all of my material needs. And that's what the word bread means in this verse. Now, the one last word that we need to focus on is this idea of daily. The word daily that you, that's translated daily in the NIV can also mean the bread for tomorrow. You see, a lot of the people that the Lord was writing to were not like us. 
In other words, in, in the days in post-refrigeration, now that we have refrigeration, we can go to Kroger's or Safeway or wherever you want to go. And when you go, you go and get a whole week's of grocery. In the first century, they weren't able to do that. They had to go every single day to the market, and they'd have to shell out those shekels every single day. And so the prayer is either, Lord, give us today the bread that we need for tomorrow, the, the, the daily necessities that we need for tomorrow, or else it's stressing, give us today what we need just to stay. Whatever it is, because the Greek expression can be used of tomorrow or today, it's, a, it's an expression of focusing on the now. Focusing on just right now. In fact, the Lord's going to end this passage. If you look at the very end of, of chapter 6, in verse 34, it says, Each day has enough trouble of its own. And one of the lessons that the Lord is trying to teach us is that worriers tend to keep focusing on the distant future. And they make all kinds of, of, of guesses about the terrible things that might happen in the future. What if, what if, what if? And one of the lessons the Lord is trying to teach us in this petition of give us today the daily necessities that we need. He's trying to get us to be like children who focus on today. It's not that we don't plan for tomorrow. There's lots of verses in the Bible that talk about planning. There's verses in the Bible that talk about the good man leaves an inheritance to his children. There's a great balance in the Word of God about money. But the lesson for today is, is that our prayer life needs to emphasize that we're, thank, we're thanking the Lord today for the way that He's meeting our needs. And we're expecting our Heavenly Daddy to come through for us. And instead of worrying, we bring our petitions very specifically. If you're worried about specific meals, talk to the Lord about those specific meals. If you are worried about some of the pressures at work, some of the insecurity at work, this petition includes talking to Him about all of those insecurities. And instead of worrying, the Lord is trying to teach us to talk to Him very specifically about these commitments. Now, the danger in our society is that because we're so prosperous and the Lord has blessed us, it's kind of like the Lord was worried about the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you turn back to the fifth book in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Lord gives a very important warning. It's a warning, I think, that we need to hear as American believers. Deuteronomy chapter 8. This whole chapter, Deuteronomy 8, is about remembering after the children of Israel come to the promised land, remembering the provisions that God gave for them in the wilderness. And in this chapter, the Lord talks about the reality that for 40 years, He gave them clothes that wouldn't wear out. He daily gave them manna. And in those 40 years, He sustained them. But Deuteronomy chapter 8 is looking forward to the time when the children of Israel will be settled in a prosperous land, a lot the way we are as Americans settled into a prosperous land. Now, what starts to happen when you do that? You start to be able to accumulate wealth. The crops come in, the harvests come in. And because God is so bountiful and he blesses us much more than just our everyday needs, as a people become settled in their land, in their occupations, often he gives them more than their daily needs. Now, what's the temptation then? 
The temptation then is to forget. And there's some of us here this morning that have forgotten that it's all just a gift from the Lord. It's all just the gracious provision that he has provided for us. And that's why he says in verse 2, Remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order for the Lord to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what the Lord is telling us, this is the verse that Jesus Christ quoted in his temptation when Satan tried to get him to turn the stones to bread. Jesus said, my focus is on my heavenly father and my focus is on the spiritual values and I depend upon him to meet my physical needs, but it's not the priority in my life. Now, there's another very important verse in this chapter. And this chapter 8 would be a very helpful chapter just to read over several times this week because it warns us about the danger of presumptuous riches, of thinking that it just happens. It's because of our power and because of our prestige. I want you to look at verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. But remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Every single one of us have been given abilities by the Lord. As we work together as a family of believers, the Lord will use our abilities to help to meet, to meet the needs of our individual families and then of our extended families. In fact, one of the things that should happen in this group, as we all realize that it's the Lord who gives us the ability to produce wealth. And we look to him and we don't think, well, this is what I've done. This is because of my abilities. What it will cause us to do is to be able to be very generous. And one of the things that will happen in our own church family and also throughout Christ's family around the world is some of us will be blessed. There will be some times when God gives us an abundant supply of manna, you might say. There will be somebody else in the congregation who doesn't have that abundant supply of manna. And the Lord will use the bounty of the haves to meet the needs of those that are going through times of struggle. And what he does is produce tremendous bonding if we can all get over our pride and realize that it all comes from the Lord anyway. And that's what's going on in this chapter. It's trying to hit at this idea of if we're rich, well, it's because we're so gifted, it's because we're so smart, it's because we're so lucky. The Lord is saying, no, that's not it at all. It's just the gracious gift of a heavenly father who's like our heavenly daddy who gives us our school lunch because he loves us. He's our parent. And he'll give some of us much so that we can bond and give and meet the needs of those who have needs. But all of us need to remember that we're loved by the Savior. Now let's pick up James chapter 1. Turn to James chapter 1, another good Jewish kind of a passage, because James was the half-brother of our Lord Jesus. He was a very strong Jew, the leader of the Jerusalem church. But in James chapter 1, We have some important verses in 9 and 10. James chapter 1, 9 and 10. 
that pick up on this point about warning us against the pride of riches and not depending upon the Lord, beginning to think it depends upon ourselves. Look at James chapter 1, verse 9. It says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Now, I want you, I'm going to read that verse again because it's really important. It says, The brother in humble circumstances. Some of you are going through time periods where you're humble. You're going through a humiliating time. For example, a lot of my worth as a man comes from the fact that I was able to go to Dallas Seminary, get a doctorate degree, and pastor a church. And the Lord in His grace caused this church family to prosper and grow. And by a tremendous gift of His grace, He enabled me to continue to teach and to meet your needs. You know, a lot of my friends didn't have that experience. Some of my friends got those degrees from Dallas. They went out and began pastoring churches, but they got involved in in bodies of believers who didn't have the priority of God's Word. They didn't really want the teaching of Scripture. They really wanted religion. And some of my friends just got cut right at some real delicate times in their life before their confidence had really grown, before that they they really had a handle on their, their giftedness in the body of Christ. They were just cut right off. And now they're my age, and they're not able to pastor. They've got a degree from Dallas Seminary. They have a degree from Moody, or they have a degree from another school, but they're not able to do that. And some of them are out there just doing menial jobs, what we think is menial jobs. And they're a brother that's really struggling to make ends meet. Now, what happens to a man... And he's got a professional degree, but he's not able to use that degree. He's just doing menial things. I'll tell you what happens to a man. He begins to feel, what's the use? Why even live? Because the Lord has created us. You see, as a man, a lot of our significance, like a lot of my confidence this morning, comes from what I do. For a woman, a lot of her significance comes from her family and security and great relationship warmth of of closeness with other people. And the Lord wants to use the women to teach the men about that. But for a man, a lot of his worth comes from what he does. And a lot of you wives have learned that. And when all of a sudden what you do is lost, it just crucifies you. It destroys you. And James is speaking to that issue. James is speaking to believers who are poor, that are going through times of struggle in their life. Some of these men were even persecuted because of their commitment to Christ. They lost their jobs because they became believers. Now, what is James' good news for us that go through those times of poverty? He's saying, brother, remember your high position." And God says to every man or woman who's lost their job or maybe you're stopped on the career ladder and it doesn't look like you're going any higher, God says to every one of you in that kind of position this morning, He says, remember, you're an heir. Remember, you're a winner because you're God's son, because you're God's daughter. Remember that your loving Heavenly Daddy, you can talk to Him about your daily needs. He's not going to let you self-destruct. He's not going to let the whole family fall apart. 
And as we daily talk to him about our needs, he will meet the needs. Some of those needs need to be met as we share together as a family. But what Jesus says to us most of all, he comes to you and he puts his arm around you and he says, listen, you're not important because you're a successful pastor. You're not important because you have a doctorate degree. You're not important because you're an executive or because you're able to make it really big in your profession. That's not what gives you value. What gives you value is that you're my child. Now, it's easy to talk spiritual like that, isn't it? It's hard to live it. It's hard for me to live it. In fact, I don't know how well I would handle that. But some of you have actually gone through those fires and the Holy Spirit can minister to you. And from James chapter 1, he can say, listen, brother, of humble circumstances, it's not because you're bad. It's not because you're under the disfavor of God. It means that you're going through a time where the heavenly daddy is training you and he's honing you and he's trying to prepare you Because you're an heir of eternal life, of the eternal throne of heaven. One day, those in Christ are going to inherit with Christ. This life is just a training for that day. So he says to the brother of humble circumstances, don't let your significance as a man or woman flow from your ability to generate wealth. Because all of it's a gift from the Lord anyway. And so if you're going through a humbling time... Focus on your airship in Christ. Now let's switch and talk about those in the congregation that are high rollers. And I find it's a lot easier to be a high roller than it is a low roller, right? It's kind of like, you know, yesterday as a church family, we had a miracle take place in our church family. We had a tournament in softball. And I, it was going to start out to be an elimination tournament, which meant that if we played two games and we lost, we would be out. And I told Mary, don't worry, we'll lose two games right off the bat. It'll be over. We ended up playing all day long. Well, they changed the rules and didn't have, they just had to be a round robin thing. Well, we won our first two games. And then we lost one and then we won again. We won miraculously. In fact, we ended up winning against all the churches in Midlothian. We lost to the ringers they brought in from the outside. There's the smell of Ben Gay in our midst. Uh, but you know what I find out? I find that I'm a great sport when I win. I just find out it's just really easy to go over and shake the guy's hand and say, man, it's great. I'm really spiritual when I win. But when I lose, it's hard to be a good sport. But you know, the winner needs to be really careful. Because when you win... You start bragging. You say, hey, you know, at in over 40, I can still do it. And you start to be presumptuous and prideful. And you're not humble anymore. And that's what James is speaking of right here. It says in James chapter 1, the very next verse, verse 10, but the one who's rich, the one who's winning, the one who fits the American dream, the one who's rich should take pride in his low position. Now, that's crazy. He tells the poor to take pleasure in their high position. He tells the rich to focus on their low position. Why? Because it will protect us against the presumption of pride. What is the low position that we should focus on if we're rich? The rich should focus on the low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. 
For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. So what he's telling all of us that are prospering, if we've been successful and we think we're on top of the world, what the Lord says, hey, look at the wildflowers around Texas. Now, we're going to learn some lessons from the wildflowers in our teaching this morning. The first lesson's a tough one. You know, you notice the beautiful blue bonnets and Indian paintbrushes and all the wildflowers in the front lawn. Dan lets them grow. And Dave Lowry argues persuasively. You've got to let them grow. But then all of a sudden, Dave Lowry and Dan decide, that's it. It looks too ragged. Boom! They knock it all down. And it's gone. You ever notice, like, the blue bonnets? Man, you've got to get out there... Because if you don't, they're what? Now, there's majestic, unbelievable beauty. Unbelievable beauty in that. But just like that, they're gone. And that's the way all of our lives are from a human standpoint. If you're rich and you're prosperous and you're a high roller, the Lord is saying, hey, be sober. Think clearly. Because you are one heartbeat away from eternity, just like the wildflowers. It just passes away. And what that does is it just levels all of us and enables all of us to daily ask the Lord to meet our needs. We don't get overly important if we think we're being rich and we constantly depend upon the Lord. You say, well, Dave, does that mean that I shouldn't plan as a business person? Well, let's turn over to James chapter 4. And look at the end of James chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, James 4, 13, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there carrying on our business, and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows to do good, he ought to do it. If he doesn't do it, it's sin. Now, what the Lord is telling us here is that we need to plan. And this would be one of the ways that you can be a great testimony. Because as you minister this week in your businesses, as I look around the room, some of you are in strategic planning. And you think about invading markets and making a profit. You think about, you know, risking capital and all that goes with living in a capitalistic society. The Lord is not demeaning that. They were doing a lot of that in the first century. What is demeaning is the presumption of planning and thinking that you control your plans. Because all of us know, you see, the Lord is calling us to live truthfully and objectively. You see, when we say, I'm going to go into such and such a city, I'm going to make a big profit. How do we know whether that's true? We don't even know whether or not we'll make it. And I can just see some of you in 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 a business planning meeting this week. You get all the computers out, you know, get it all in the flow sheet. And all of a sudden, one of you raises your hand in the business meeting in your company and say, I want to tell you something, boss. I'm going to really be praying about these plans. He goes, what? He said, yeah, I'm going to really be praying about these plans because you know what I realized? You know, if God doesn't really enable any of this stuff to take place, it'll all be disaster. In fact, we might not even make it if the Lord doesn't bless us. We might not even have physical health or we might not even have life. It all depends upon Him. And then just be quiet. 
And that's the way to be a testimony. And you say, well, Dave, I couldn't do that. Why not? You know what hit me? I think as believers, this is a great, great passage. Because, you know, when you all leave and go out into the business world tomorrow, some of you drive to North Dallas, some of you drive to Fort Worth, some of you drive into the major cement plants in the area, the steel plant. And we've got all different stratas here this morning. Some of you are executives, some of you are salespeople, some of you are the ones that really do the hard work, and just all, just all different brands of people. You know what? I think some of you go out there and um, you look at some of these power people. You know, they take the trips, you know, to Tahiti, and they go skiing, and all kinds of things, you know. And you think, man, that's where it's really, really at. That's where life is really at. Man, I wish I would have had that. I think like of the steel plant. You know, when you first get exposed to those work situations, it looks like everybody has it together. But if we had sharing time right at this time, some of you would have to stand up and say, you know, I started being a testimony for the Lord. I started talking about eternal values, not in an obnoxious way, but in an honest way. As life went along, there came a time when all the material prosperity didn't mean anything. Suddenly, sickness struck. Suddenly, an accident occurred. And all of a sudden, we needed God. We needed the Lord Jesus. And some of you that didn't get caught up in just living for the material things, you had something to offer. And one of the neatest things is sometimes you can have just a, a guy that just works on the assembly line that really knows Christ and the president of the company can come by and the guy that's working just on the line that really knows the Savior that's a prince of heaven can have something to really say of comfort, of hope, of lasting meaning to the most powerful executive there is. Because the real values in life are not in those power positions. It's not in all the money. Because all of our lives are just like the flower of the field. And what the Lord is saying is He's calling all of us this morning to get off of our horse and to stop focusing on the material values and to begin to think clearly. That's one of the things I want you to really get a hold of today is that Jesus is really challenging us about what is true. He's trying to rescue us from the seduction, from the dream world of thinking that material things is what's going to last. Now turn to Matthew 6 again. Matthew 6. The Lord has his own commentary on what we've been talking about this morning. And what the Lord does, and this, I can teach you something about your Bible study. When you're reading Matthew 6 and you wonder, like, what does he mean, give us this there daily bread? What is he getting at? In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24... The Lord Jesus gives his own commentary on what he's trying to teach us in teaching us to pray day by day to have our daily needs met. The first thing he tells us is that we need to be very careful not to let money become our idol. And the Holy Spirit wants to convict some of us this morning because in reality we've been worshiping money. Look what he says in verse 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why not? Because moth and rust and decay will destroy it. If it doesn't rot away, thieves might break in and steal it. But store up for yourselves instead treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't affect it and where thieves are excluded. They can't get in. 
For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What it's saying is that what we're thinking about in our heart, what controls us in our heart, is what we're really treasuring, and it's what's going to dominate our life. Now he develops that point in the next verse. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are not good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You can't serve two masters. You can either serve God or you can serve money. You're going to either hate one or you're going to love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he says this, you can't serve God and money. Now, in our church family, I've talked to you a lot about immorality. I've talked to you a lot about sexual immorality because it's one of the great seductions and temptations of our day. But I want to share with you, what we're talking about this morning is just as seductive, probably more so, and it's probably got more of a grip on us than sexual immorality does by a million miles. It's the seduction of worshiping money. You know, I found in my own life, and I, I've shared this with some of you in the past or my close friends, like when I was coming up through, to be honest with you, I didn't really think that much about money. Like when I was in college, you know, if you went out and worked for the Southwestern Company, I, I'd sell books, make enough money, go to school. And I always figured if you need money, you just somehow you go out and sell or do something, you can get it. Never even worried about it. You know, money, it was just there. Mary was raised in a good family. Uh, as a pastor's daughter, and she was used even to walking outside. And when she was raised, you walked outside to go to the bathroom. So it wasn't very hard to please her. Put an inside John, and she was happy. <laughs> but, you know, I find out as I grow older, as I grow older, and it's a crazy thing because I should know better. But as I grow older, and I think some of you could join with me in this, as I grow older... You begin to focus on those things. You really do. You like even writing the books. You see, I can write to meet every one of your individual needs because I really care about you. For example, that I really want you to learn how to raise your kids. And that needs to be what I'm really focused on. But you know, you can also write because you want extra money. And you begin to focus on that. And you begin to really be moved and and worship that, and it, and it really drives you, and you worry about it. And if you have those same temptations, you know, there's nothing wrong with making money. We can make money to the glory of God. But you know, when money begins to grab our lives, and it begins to be the focus of our life, then it becomes a demon that sucks truth out of our life, and it sucks vitality out of our life, and it sucks relationship out of our life, and we begin to think about things. You know, there's some daddies here that your kids come in and they say, hey, daddy, come out and just play with us, and you can't do it. You can't play anymore because you're so full of worry. Life is so serious. You've got you to go over the checkbook again. You've got to go over your plans again. You've got to check your accounts again. You need to ask yourself, are you the kind of person you just keep going over those things? You just gravitate towards going over those books, making sure all your investments are just right. Now, the Lord wants you to be a wise steward. But every one of us this morning need to ask yourself, do I gravitate towards that? 
Do I get motivated by that? Does it, does it drive me in my life? Do I get more excited about a potential raise than I do about teaching a young person in Sunday school? Or, or taking a child out and being able to spend some time with them? Do you see, if, if, I, if I get more excited about a potential investment and all the money that it might come, and I'm not excited about being with fellow believers or reaching out to unbelievers, then the Scripture is saying that I'm an idolater and I'm worshiping money and not God. If we go to prayer this morning, I think it's really important that all of us just open our hearts to God. Because this passage closes in Matthew 6. It says, hey, don't worry about anything. God wants to free us from worry. What I'm talking about this morning, I'm really exercised about it. Because I think some of you are going to cut your life short because you're stressed out. I think we need to really pray because I think some of you as men and women, the whole drive of your life has become this rat race to get those things. And the more things you get, the more of those things control you, right? You buy them, then you have to take care of them. And how many of you in this room would stand up and say, man, I wish I didn't have all this junk. It's just killing me. i got to maintain it. i got to take care of it. I like to get rid of it all. Well, you need to have a balance in that. But the Lord is saying, hey, I want to deliver you from that. I want you to focus on me. I don't want you to think the meaning of your life is in the abundance of what you possess. You know where the meaning of life is? Just what we did yesterday. I got a chance just to meet some men. And it's amazing how the Lord builds relationships, just playing together. Some guys come up and say, hey, I've been coming to the church for several months. My name is so-and-so. I don't think you know me. Well, I know them now (laughs) very well. You know, some of you miss all of those times because you're so stressed out about money. And it's work, 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 work. The Lord wants to come to you today and say, Hey, child, remember those little kids in front of the church? They don't worry about school lunches. So don't you worry about the school lunches of your life. Ask me. I'm a good daddy. I'll give you good gifts. You won't starve to death. But I'll give you a whole lot more than peanut butter sandwiches. I'll give you investments for eternity people that you can know and love forever and ever and ever.